just going to roll. Um, Chief Armstrong, thank you for uh, making us like the last uh, the last stop on your media tour. We appreciate the <laughs> time. Thank you for having me. Um, how have how have the first handful of weeks been on the job? And congratulations. Mm. Um, no pressure whatsoever. <laughs> um, how has the first handful of weeks been? Uh, you've been with the department for, for several decades now. You're familiar with all this. Have the first few weeks been overwhelming in any way? Any unexpected surprises that have hit you? So there's always unexpected surprises. So yes, that, that's a common everyday occurrence and we just roll with those. As far as feeling overwhelmed, I think it's weird, but I have not been. Maybe one day out of this whole period did I feel overwhelmed. The rest, I feel like I was made for this position, to be honest with you, and I just roll with things naturally. So it's easy for me to jump in there and learn what I can learn and deal with the little fires as they come, manage the long-term things. But it's it's been fantastic. I've been having a great time. You've, uh, had, you're very decorated, uh, an RN, and so much on your resume. You were made for this position. Has there been anything in the short tenure so far that you've learned? There's a, uh, a sports fan at all. You're a sports fan, right? I'm a hockey fan. Okay. Uh, Mike Tomlin, the head coach of the Pittsburgh Steelers for many years now, very successful. Um, he was like a special teams coach, and then he got thrusted into the head coach position. And a quote sticks with me that I've kind of applied to myself, and I think you just, or I want to ask you about it. He said you go from being responsible for a handful of people to everybody. Has that at all been overwhelming, going from a small section of oversight of people to now when anything happens, it's on your doorstep? I haven't felt overwhelmed, but def definitely it's a different viewpoint, right? You're exactly correct. I went from being the battalion chief of the EMS Bureau in charge of five people, very small team, but a high-producing, highly motivated team, to now being in charge of over 530 people. So what's difficult is trying to manage that number of people and do it effectively through your supervisors. So through the deputy mm -hmm. chiefs, through their supervisors, and make sure that things get funneled down that way instead of people circumventing that and then coming directly to you, especially when my I leave my door open. I do have an open door policy, but then people are always stopping in and demanding your attention or asking questions that I'm more than happy to answer, but many times they really should be answered by other people so that I can focus on those bigger ticket items if you will how how many people um of your uh choosing have you been able to to get in place so far i'm sure you want to assemble your own team not dismiss anybody or move anybody out of place but you have people you work well with people who you can probably delegate delegate to and say actually my door is closed they'll handle this what is your uh team building strategy look like so I'm glad you asked because that's very important to have a team that you can work with that works well with each other, that has the experience and the abilities to complement each other. And I am fortunate that we have a process in place to allow for that, that I can select those people. And then what I try to do is to select the highest ones that are beneath me and then allow them then to select their teams and so on and so forth. And you know we have conversations about it. And if I feel strongly one way or another, I'll let them know. But I want to empower them to make those decisions. That's great. Alex, you're up with question number one. So, 
<laughs> First of all, I'm so excited. I think I had, I think we reacted to this on the podcast when we found out. And obviously, I'm team woman all day long. Like, what does that mean? I mean, I don't know. I'm sure you get asked this a lot. Um, but you seem like the type that's like, okay, you're proud of yourself. You're happy to be doing this. You're born to do it. I mean, obviously, if you're not feeling overwhelmed, it's because it it's comes natural to you. But being that you are a woman, like, what does that mean to you? I didn't think that much about it, to be honest. Yeah. Because like what you're saying, I, I've been to, with the Toledo Fire and Rescue Department yeah. for 21 years. I've worked in a variety of roles. Mm-hmm. I'm a registered nurse. I have a master's degree. I have all those things that I feel anybody should have to be successful in this job. Absolutely. So at first, I didn't think a lot about it until people started approaching me and asking me <laughs> these questions, right? And and talking about how excited they were for a woman to be in this role and then mm-hmm. how excited they were for me specifically mm-hmm. and I don't even know what to say about it. It's been that's been overwhelming. That was something yeah. that I didn't expect, and I'm I'm humbled by it. I'm grateful. I, I'm yeah. happy to be a role model. Yeah, for other women, for mm-hmm. girls and women. Mm-hmm. But in the beginning, it's just not something I thought about. It's not it right, and and that was what I was thinking. But I think that and it is so humble of you, right? So that's humility, honestly. But it's just. When you, I I think about this sometimes, and I think we talked about this, where you see things like, uh, for example, when I watched Wonder Woman and I was in the theater watching Wonder Woman and my jaw, like I just couldn't stop smiling because it's like our sheroes, like our our girls are out there like kicking ass. And for some reason, as a woman, I don't think I'll ever get tired of it ever, ever. So I think when, when you come into this role and this is something traditionally males take on and you're probably in charge of a department that is maybe leans more on men than women, maybe not much, but maybe it's just such a big deal. You know what I mean? And I, and I understand the humility and I think that's really important because it makes you approachable, but count on me to be, to like go girl. (laughs) You know what I mean? It's so exciting. Good for you. Thank you. I'm Chief, excited to have the opportunity. Yeah. What does um, nobody ever answers this question as I want them okay. to? What is a typical day for you like? Now, here's how you're going to answer this. You're going <laughs> to tell me that you get in the office, check your email. Like, I literally know. Like, how do you wake up? You hit snooze a lot. Like, I, I want to really like humanize you. And it sounds ridiculous, but Alex knows uh, other people's jobs fascinate me. Mm. And but I think it's also important. And to Alex's point. How does someone in your position get ready for their day? How do they, you know, take their lunch? How do they take some time so you don't get overwhelmed or burnout? So what is a day for you like? So my day usually starts around 6 a.m. that I would get up, check my phone. But but mind you, my phone is on 24-7, right? Yep. And it has to be. So I'm available for emergencies that happen overnight or things that need to be addressed immediately. But beyond that, I get up about 6 o'clock jump in the shower. Sometimes I work out before work. Sometimes I don't. I'm, I'm one of those random workout people. Mm. It's all over the places. Get I'm not a creature in. of habit. You know, I do it when I feel like doing it. Mm. So, but to your point about keeping yourself, you know, sane and healthy and all that, I, I work out to do that as much as possible. Lunch, ugh, that's tough. Lunch is random. When you can? Usually at my desk or walking down the hallway talking to three people, unfortunately. Uh, sometimes there'll be time devoted, but usually... It's just constant phone ringing, emails coming, people coming in with things that some that have to be addressed immediately, some that can be pushed off and delegated. So I do my best to manage all that stuff. Uh, and then going from interview to interview or yeah. uh, meeting to meeting, because I sit on the board, a bunch of different boards for various things that sure. are important to the fire department. So 
That would be my typical day. How's your day end? <sighs> my day. Oh, I'm sorry. I'll, I'll ask that another way because your day does not end. Right. <laughs> my, some jobs before people would say, what are your hours? I, they just think I was on the radio hours. in the morning. I was like, when I'm awake. Um, <laughs> so when you leave the office per se, like you hop in the car, do you decompress it all? Do you flip something on, songs, music? Like how do you try to leave work at the office? That's a great question. And when I figure out the answer to that, I am certainly going to let you know. But to be honest, usually the time spent in my vehicle, as much as I love music, I absolutely love music. A lot of it is spent on the phone. Sure. Mm. Dealing with those things that I didn't have time to deal with during the day. And now I'm driving home. So I make those phone calls to wrap stuff up. Um, as you know, because you've had so many roles, um, it's Friday, March 4th right now of 2022. I'm sure March 4th of 2023, you're going to look back and go, how the hell was I doing that job back then? Because there's going to be so much that you have to yeah, learn, right? Yeah. I'm sure people think, oh, the chief's going to be headed out like what I see on Chicago Fire every week. The chief's <laughs> headed out to fires. And, re and as you just illustrated, it's more meetings and communication probably more than any other time in your career. It is. It's way, it's more administrative functions. You're the head of the department, and therefore the people taking the fires are the people that you've assigned to do that. I mean, certainly I have the ability to do that, and I, and I will if something necessitates it or if I'm close or driving by, clearly I'll stop and do the same job that I've always done. But now I'm in a position where I have people to do that stuff day to day. We have minimum staffing, so we always have 113 people working. So now my tasks are devoted to taking care of financial things, you know, getting mm, funding for equipment. PowerPoints and spreadsheets. Right. We have to get funding for equipment, for ladder trucks, for gear, for all the things that we need and making sure that... So my focus right now is making sure that the men and women that are out there taking the runs 24-7 have the equipment that they need to be safe, to do their jobs effectively, and I want to make sure they have everything they need. Alex? That's uh, that's kind of a segue into, um, I mean, the fire department and, and the calls, the type of calls that you're going out on have changed over the years, you know, over the decades, over the years. And um, it's really kind of called for you all to be, um, to respond to it effectively, but it, it presents challenges. Like what, what could you tell us about maybe some of those challenges, what they've been like and what you would like the community to know? Cause I know that you're out in those meetings if, as means to education, you know, to educate people, to let people know, you know, what you're doing, what we can do, you know, who we should call if it's not a good, you know, reason to call, for example, but tell us about that, how things have evolved and how you're responding to it. No, I, thanks for asking. So the run volumes have just continued to go up over mm. the 21 years that I've been here, and we're almost to an unsustainable level with the resources that we have. So our staffing only went up 10 people in 21 years. The run volumes have easily doubled. So we're at a, almost at a crisis point where we need to do a lot of public education. We need to do partnerships and referrals to other resources right. for non-emergent services, right? Sure. Because 911 has become the catch-all yes. for everything and, yes. and we'll respond and we'll continue to respond. But again, it's not sustainable. It's not efficient or effective. It's not cost effective. So we try to work with other agencies like ZEF for mm -hmm. mental health Crisis care. issues. And, you know, if there are things <laughs> that are, I mean, there are emergent yeah. mental health uh, crises 100%. that need to be handled, but then there are a lot that are not necessarily emergent, that if we could refer people to those resources, you know, United Way 211, we've tried to work with them in the past to handle those non-emergent issues. I mean, there is a phone tree through the dispatch center that can connect people with non-emergent resources. It's just really tough to educate people on the ins and outs of that and mm -hmm. when it's appropriate to use 911 versus 
you know, when it's not and how to access these other resources. If I could get, and we're happy to help that uh, in any way uh, yeah, that we can. Yeah. Um, so just come back as much. You can be a regular guest if you want. To that exact point, um, I don't know what the non-emergency police number is. Do you I know do. What it is? Do you, oh, okay. I mean, I don't know. And that to me, that just goes like, I wish that number. And TPD does a great job of of, of social media. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I The chief is in the running for best grandpapa. I mean, he, <laughs> I see he? his dinner. He loves that little boy so <laughs> much. If there's one thing that would get him to retire tomorrow, it's that little boy. It's that kid. Um, but I don't, I don't know what the, the non-emergency number is. So... Um, could you give me an example of like, this is not something you should be calling us for. And I get it. Everything is subjective. There are mental health issues. Right. Um, if I'm, I, I, I have met, I'm a mental health advocate. I have lots of experience, lived experience. If I'm in the middle of, I texted or I should have texted her a couple of weeks ago. Yeah, I was should've. in tears. I'd been on three medications in, in 10 days. My brain was a scrambled egg. And I was on the couch sitting next to my dog saying, I don't want to live anymore. I don't want to live anymore. Yeah. I knew it was because of the medication thing, but I would never begrudge someone else who was in a spot like that for going, I can't unlock my door in my home where they might call 911. Could you shed some light on maybe what is appropriate and not appropriate with that subjectivity involved to reach out to you guys for help? Yeah, I mean, I would certainly say that if somebody feels that whatever is going on in their life and is, a, is an emergency, then they should call 911, certainly. Uh, a lot of the things that we see that are not necessarily emergent are like medication refills. People waited too long and now they've gone, you know, five days without their medicine. They could get to a point where that's emergent, but we would like to try and educate them to make sure they stay on those mm-hmm. medication refills so it doesn't get to that point. A lot of things are chronic issues, right? They're chronic mm-hmm. medical issues that aren't being followed up by a doctor. So people need to really keep those appointments and mm-hmm. try to keep on top of their health care and, and those health issues so that they don't become emergencies or they don't feel like then the only option is to call 911. Sure. I think it's the wraparound services is also what's going to make the difference. So if we're speaking about one person, you know, in the community that seeks mental health care, you know, let's say, for example, at Zeff Center, like that client having a case management team that's actively involved, having a doctor that's actively involved and a, and a counselor that's actively involved may um, cut down on the resources being provided by you all as, a, as an example, because that means that they are catching when they're maybe not showing up to their appointment or they're catching it. If like, you know, you came in a little manic today. Are you taking your meds compared to um, things don't really happen or we don't realize there's a problem until they're in a crisis because there we do have mobile crisis i mean we absolutely have a mobile crisis unit in our county but you're right you know and 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 i had a situation and i don't often drop the veil of what i do for work podcast is podcast alex and work alex but you know and i had to call 911 because it would have been a liability for me not to and i was like oh my gosh this you don't need it, you know, and, and sometimes there's individuals that are so severely mentally ill that they can't differentiate between appropriate and not appropriate, you know, and us professionals don't have a choice, but I know it's a strain. So that's part, part, part of the reason I wanted to ask, because I know that um, what's helpful and what's not helpful to you all, you know, because inevitably the entire community will feel the effect if the fire department is somewhere when they, you know, handling something that they really, someone else could have done, and then a fire comes in, you know? Chief, that was great advice. Like, stay on your stuff. And easier said than done, because I was just over um, at Cedar Creek last night. The UT students run a free clinic over there, mm-hmm. and I was picking their brains. And it's, 
some people can't people don't have health insurance they can't afford it so there are some reasons what what is other community advice that you can offer to alex's point like we're all in this together it's a domino effect um what other community insight and advice can you pass along to people here to make your lives easier That's a tough one, Eric. I mean, <laughs> there's so much. I'm yeah, I mean, yeah. she's coming back. Right, right. There's so much, and I don't even know where to start okay. with that. Yeah, I mean, if you're, if you're talking about EMS, that's one thing. If you're, if you're talking about, you know, fire safety, fire education, you know, those are initiatives that people need to stay on top of. Also, yeah. having smoke detectors, right? So yes. I think of all these things when you say that, they all come in my head right now. So mm-hmm. uh, what I would say from a fire department perspective in order to keep people safe is make sure you have working smoke detectors. Make sure that when you're cooking that your oven is clean or you're not leaving it on or you're not letting a pan of grease sit there because we've seen a lot of cooking fires over mm. the last, I would say, two years also within the pandemic. There was, uh, I'm originally from Philadelphia. I bring up it a lot on the podcast and there's a lot of similarities with the violence issues and things like that. And you may have seen this. There was a, a horrific fire a couple of weeks ago in Philadelphia where I think some children uh, were killed. Uh, it just devastated the entire city and something pretty preventable. Um, like what you talked about with people and their medication. We also need to stay on top of the little things like, you know, the smoke detectors. It, it, and I know that that's always a thing. I think we've learned all learned about that since we were kids. Is there a way to get like a free smoke detector or a smoke detector check? What's, what's smoke detector 101? <laughs> we do give free smoke detectors out. We have a fun setup for that. We will give them out to residents of the city of Toledo. And we had been doing it out of our fire stations, but with COVID, mm. some of that changed. So now we try to distribute them out of the government center. Our fire prevention bureau is there on the 17th floor, and that's typically where we try to direct people to get those so that they have them. I mean, we want everybody to have a smoke detector. I think the Red Cross also has a similar program, but I don't know the particulars of that. Um, we have, uh, and we're approaching it, we have, like, fire season here in Toledo. It's Ooh. so... I have... When, uh, when I had done my morning shows in the past, it was so bizarre. Like, mm. there was almost like a weekly mysterious or peculiar fire. I am crazy. I am nuts. But am I crazy or nuts in that regard? Uh, I'm not saying this is necessarily arson. A lot of times these seem to be like abandoned homes. And I'm just like throwing the question out there. Why do we seem to have peculiar fires or is this everywhere? I don't know that it's everywhere. We do have a high number of arson fires. We have arson for profit. Mm. Uh, There's a lot of things that go into that. I don't have the actual statistics on it, but we, the city of Toledo does have a high number of arsons per capita, probably maybe one of the top 10 in the country, as far as I understand it. Okay. So I am not crazy. I'm like, that's a suspicious fire. Um, Alex? I think you guys had someone, it may or may not have made the news that you had um, maybe somebody that started at the fire department or maybe started in the police department and then ended up getting trained to be able to investigate those things. Was that recent? Yes, our fire investigator. So we have our own fire investigators that were fire department employees that then go through the Toledo Police Academy. Yes. Okay. And then we also have go. two Toledo police detectives that are cross-trained as firefighters and collectively they make up our arson unit. Gotcha, gotcha. Okay. So um, the, we know that the resources are strained, you know, and that you, the, a lot of the work you're doing is to help the department kind of build those resources back for safety for, the, for your employees and then for the community. With your new incoming classes, what kind of, um, what what would you want them to know? Like, tell us something that you would want the community to know about um, becoming a, a a member of Toledo Fire or joining the team. And is there 
um, have you been able to meet with any classes yet? Like, because I think you go out within the first week to say hey Correct. and all of that. Correct. So we have not had a class in the short time I've been here. I'm looking mm -hmm. to hire two, sure. probably in April and May, two classes back to back. And then after that, we'll have to open up hiring again because yeah. that's going to be upwards of 70 people and we're going to exhaust our current list. Sure. So testing has changed in the 20 years since I've gotten hired, but how we do it now is through the National Testing Network. Mm -hmm. And so you take the test there and then there's a firefighter mile test, which goes along with that, which is the physical ability part. So mm -hmm. those are done by the National Testing Network. And then once you complete those, you're put on an eligibility list. Right. And then from there, we'll do a background check to make sure you have a clean criminal background history. You know, if you have a ticket or something like that, you'll get assigned points and a police detective will review all of that with you. And then we go to interviewing and then hiring. And then once you get a conditional offer of employment, we'll do a medical exam mm -hmm. and then assign you a start date. Yeah. Um, I had read that uh, applications are, are down. Um, that's not surprising when it comes to, I guess, your, your sister organization with T TPD uh, for the obvious social reasons that we're all very familiar with. I can't see that being the same stigma with TFD. Is this a local problem? Uh, is this across the country? Why are applications down? It's a national problem. Yeah. I think it's worse for the police department, just anecdotally from what I hear, but we are not getting the number of interested applicants like we did. For example, so when I took the test, I believe it was in 99, they put out a notice in the blade and over 3,000 people showed up to the Seagate Center. Wow. Now, we only did those tests every two years or so. We tried to do them every two years. But, yeah, you put a flyer out, 3,200 people showed up. Now, the last list, we combined some people off an old list and then did reopen hiring again, and I think we only got about 400 people. Why? I mean, I this is... You're never going to be a superhero. You're never putting on a cape and a cow, but you can be pretty heroic doing what you do and who works for you. Why is there less applications? I can't see anything that has changed culturally why people wouldn't want to do this job. That's a great question. I mean, when I think about it, I think that there might be a lot of other job opportunities, maybe mm -hmm. in the technology sector sector that people are a, interested in. I can be a TikTok star. They, why would I want to go fight a fire? <laughs> and they feel they can do that easier and make more money. Sure. Is that reality? I don't know. I don't. Ha I mean, I don't have TikTok, or maybe yeah. I do, but I don't use it. So, Paris does. Paris has he covered. Does he really? <laughs> he probably does. Well, I'll have to find it. So um, the, the other thing that traditionally has been an obstacle is that it, the hiring process takes so long because of all these steps. Now, we've We've cut down on that a little bit with the way we do testing process now, but it still probably takes, I would say, six to nine months to get through that whole process and to actually start. And so with that, we lose people along the way. Every step we lose people, and then we lose people to other job opportunities that come their way. So we're constantly losing people off these lists also. I think you hit the nail on the head. It's, it is one of the oldest professions in the world, um, I don't know that it has necessarily modernized to compete with people who are like, I can just sit in my living room and play video games on Twitch and, mm -hmm. and make money. Are there any, are, is, there a way to, is there a way to use somebody like Paris who could attract those, those people so that we can continue to replenish people needed in our community? As, is there a way to market in a modern way to appeal to who you want? I think there is, and we are looking at some of those ways. You know, we hired a company to do some recruitment videos with us to nice. help us do some advertising like that. And certainly, people like Paris <laughs> are amazing. No, because he, he yeah. is such a great guy. He's so enthusiastic. He's smart. And I think you're right that using somebody like him to promote this job and, and to show people what it can be and, and how great of a job it is. 
might be a way to get more people. Alex has a thing uh, over the last two years. She wants to know how much uh, you're going to get paid to do a certain job. TPD is pretty forthcoming with that. You want to ask that question? TFD. Yeah. Yeah. No, oh, T- yeah. TPD is forthcoming. Like TPD, you, yeah. You make good money. You make yeah, good you money. Do. You do. I mean, everybody loves the fire department. At least I do. I, I know you guys get a lot of love like from families and kids at parades and whenever the fire department is out. So the like what you were saying, it, it we know that the applications are down and it just doesn't make sense. Ask the money question. Okay. How, <laughs> how much can someone expect to make into the and if you call it the academy, they get past the six to nine months of entering and they start class, they start school to join. What would they be looking looking at? You can ballpark it if you want. Oh, is that wow. a okay. good I have, No, you, it's it's all public knowledge. It's not that I can't. Uh, I just don't have the pay scales okay. in front of me. Uh, I would say about. 50, 60 grand? I think it's 45 to 55. Okay, I would guess about 50. I say that, so I speak from personal experience a lot, and my my like family, my fiancé is attempting to get into emergency services, and I think sometimes it's also out of your control. You'll get applicants that may not be your traditional college student. You know, somebody that's like, well, I'm not going to college, I'm not going to a trade, or... I unsuccessfully did classes in college. Trades aren't my thing. Maybe I'm going to try to join the fire department. That's somebody that's probably like five, six, ten years removed from high school maybe. And so passing that entrance exam that's determined by the state, you know, is really challenging. I, I know it because we just had that experience in the fall and it's kind of like, oh, I can't even pass 11th grade math, most likely, right. <laughs> you know what I mean? And I'm a degreed individual, so I, I think, and I have a, and you do have to keep going and keep fighting and I think you're going to, you may lose folks because of that, but that's something that's determined by the state, not by you, right? Correct. Yeah. But we do have our recruitment team does meet with people to yeah. help prepare them for that. I Out don't know. Point ex- Place, right? Yes. Yeah. We Out did at that. our Point yeah. Place office. We do have another group that seeks to assist people with that. Um, so we do have some of those things. Is it as robust as I would like? No, it's not. For, and we can certainly look at sure. that and improve that. Maybe tutoring. Is there anybody that can jump on and say, hey, if you're looking to do this, we provide tutoring for two hours a week or, you know, a couple days out of the month that will take you to this, something something like that. Because I imagine our in our community, I know there's data that speaks to the education levels for individuals and the average person looking for certain things. And it can, it just really is challenging. But, but you, I know the fire department is a beloved organization. You know what I mean? She, and, what's the, what's the DNA of of a person of the person you're looking for. There you go. Good question. So it'd be somebody that felt called to service, right? I mean, mm-hmm. at the end of the day, the job of a firefighter is one of public service. So we're here to serve the public. We're here to answer the calls when they come in to render, you know, emergency and life-saving care to serve the citizens of Toledo. So first and foremost, I would say that somebody that's that understands that this job is a 24/7 operation. So therefore, you will work 24 hours a day. And you'll have two days off and you'll repeat that cycle. And we work weekends. We work holidays. Right. Somebody always has to be here. So if you want a job where you work on Monday through Friday or you're playing computer games, we just we can't offer you that. So um, people need to understand that. And most people like the schedule once they get into it. It can be an adjustment if you're not used to that. But people really enjoy the two days off that they get. Um, And the other thing is that it's not your normal sit at the desk type in your computer, answer emails. I mean, we are out there interacting with the community. We do all sorts of public events. We do all sorts of specialty training. And then we answer emergency calls. So 
usually people that are drawn to this profession are more of like a type A personality. They like adventure. They at times like thrill and they're adaptable and flexible because we never know what's going to happen next. So we need people that are going to listen to orders when, when they're given to them, but that are also going to be adaptable and flexible because we can't control everything. Sure. We can do a lot to control our environment and to train and be prepared, but Sometimes you show up to a fire, you have to you have to make things up on the fly to get the job done and do it safely. I remember asking Paris a question um, when he's been on the podcast before. Um, it's got to be, we all think we're braver than we actually are. Mm. Like if something horrific, if I saw, I've actually seen somebody like throw a dog over there before and, and, it, and I, it, had he continued, I would have gone out there. Now, I might have been pretty scared if this person would have pulled a weapon or anything like that. Like, I like think we, we all think we have more courage than we actually do. And I asked this to Paris. I was like, we all say we want to run into a burning building, but then you actually have to run into a burning building. And he's like, they, you're trained to get that fear out of you. Could you speak a little bit about that? Because again, every human being, I think, wants to do good. But when, when you're actually called upon, you might freeze. And you guys train that out of them. Right. So that's where your training and the, the repetition, and, and we do it to the point that you feel extremely comfortable with your equipment, that you trust your equipment to protect you, right? Because it, we use our self-contained breathing apparatus as the mechanism to go into burning buildings so we can breathe. It's compressed air. It runs through a bottle on your back that I'm sure you've all seen with hoses and a regulator that goes into a face piece. Mm. And so first and foremost, you need to have confidence in that piece of equipment that it's going to perform as expected and that you know how to troubleshoot it should something happen so that you can safely, as safe as possible, enter that environment and be able to breathe and do your job. So it's all repetition. And so what he's talking about is when they go through training, it's just repetition, confidence building, using that equipment, putting blindfolds on you and making you manipulate and do things with that equipment so that you know it like the back of your hand so that you are trained to the highest level possible that when you get in those emergency situations, you're not scared per se because you have confidence, you've done it, and you know how things work. Or, I mean, I guess like an athlete, um, you're a hockey player, um, you put all the practice in, so when you're out on the ice, you're not thinking about, what position do you play? Forward. Forward. Left wing. Um, you're not thinking about where you need to skate to on the ice or how do we anticipate a pass because you've already done that beforehand, so you're not thinking out there on the ice, and it's similar when it comes to saving lives or, I guess, Cats, small animals. Um, I have a, one more serious question. Then we can get to the really hard, fun things. Um, I have a note for myself, but I can't remember what it was about, so I'll just ask you. What's, what's PS419? PS419 is a collaboration between the Toledo Fire and Rescue Department and Toledo Public Schools to put together a public safety program, and because of the area code 419, that's what it's called, in order to get students, I believe it's tailored to the junior and senior classes mm. right now, but hopefully we'll expand it in the future. And that was a way to get Toledo Public students interested in careers in public safety. So it's both police and fire oriented, and they can elect to join that program. And then when they're in the program, they will go through courses related to public safety. I don't know what the specific courses are, but I know there's law enforcement and fire courses in there. And actually one of our retired firefighters, Andre Tiggs, who is a fire investigator, is heading up that program right now. And so we just started, I believe, last year, and it's been tough because of COVID. So we're working with that to engage those students and to show them what a career in public safety looks like, to get them some of the courses that they can take. So for instance, if they could go take EMT or 
whatever course it is and then they can learn that to say hey is it for is it for That's me great. do i like it mm -hmm. and then even possibly get some of those certifications and i know a couple of the students did take our last exam and i believe passed it so That's great. It, it goes to the stuff that you were yeah. talking about in terms of getting people interested giving them the information about what a career in public safety would look like and mm -hmm. what it can do for you and then also helping them to prepare to navigate the testing process mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. alex do you want to ask the fangirl question are you are you friends with Katie Holmes? No. The, 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 <laughs> Wait, which one? I have so many. The the A and E one. The oh, show that I didn't oh, watch. Oh, okay. So also, what was it like um, being featured on Live Rescue? Was it helpful to the city of Toledo? I thought you guys did very well. I mean, we watched every the night. I think it was like Thursday nights or something like that. We watched every Thursday night on time. Um, was it helpful to recruiting? Because inevitably, it's a recruitment tool. Um, and it do are they going to come back? <laughs> so, you know, that whole thing, I didn't know anything about Live Rescue. I had never seen the show. That's what happens I didn't either, when way, you're a I nice person and your friend's doing something. And you're like, hey, I'll help you out. And you have no idea what you're helping with. And then they call you and say, hey, you're going to you know, be on this TV show and they're going to videotape you. We're talking about Danny. Yes. Okay. <laughs> and I go, what? <laughs> All right. So let's do that. But yeah, to your point, I think, I think it's great for the community because yeah. they can really see the inner workings of what we actually do it, right. in real time. I mean, mm -hmm. those were all real calls. They were live. So yeah. I think it is good from a recruitment and from a, a standpoint of showing people what we do and how we operate and mm -hmm. things like that. So I think they filmed for, what, three weeks straight. And it wasn't, see, the problem with that was it was in the winter, right? So the better time, to your point about mm. fires and activity <laughs> and, mm -hmm. and even like traumas, right? There's a thing called the trauma season. That's, you know, mm -hmm. in the summer in the because summer. people are outside. Fireworks. They're, they're acting. Barbecues. Yeah, they're on motorcycles. There's a lot more activity going on. Sure. So, we were busy during that time period. Of course, it seems like things would happen either before or after they left. But sure. they did get some good fit footage, and they, they did, did express a desire to come back. However, I don't know that the show's been renewed because I follow uh, a couple face Facebook or I haven't seen social media pages, mm -hmm. and it seemed like people kept asking if it was going to come back or not. I haven't seen. I just thought it was fascinating. I like my route home. I have to drive past Broadway, and there was, you know. Uh, I could see activity on Broadway, so I could see the emergency services lights, and then I get home and I pop it on, and there, there it yes. is, like live. You know, you're so you just kind of see what just happened, what you just drove past, and you're right, it it was in the winter because there was ice. Now that I think about it, so it was actually longer, long, further ago than I thought it was, but I thought it was genius, you know, to just show what what happens in Toledo, who's responding, how they're responding, and then when they followed you and they followed Danny. Um, I'm familiar with Danny because of the work he does for um, opioid prevention. Right. And um, when they, the explanations that you give as you're driving to something just was really helpful. So it, anyway, I just thought it was great. What's, uh, what's your Metro Park? My Metro Park. So I live out in Waterville. And so out there it would be, gosh, what is the name of it? Isn't that terrible? Oh, uh, Oak openings? Is it Oak openings? Mm -hmm. This is terrible. Yes. Yeah. So I go out that way. Is it Waterville or White? Is it local time out there? We like to yes. ask food questions too. Local is time it... is out in White House. Okay. Like giant pretzel? I don't know about the giant pretzel. What's your favorite restaurant? Hmm. Wow. Favorite restaurant. I don't know. Can we come back to that one? Yeah. Let me think about it. I'll narrow it down. What's your favorite pizza place? I like Pizza Populous, but you know what? Ooh. Since the pandemic, I've tried to go there many times and uh, haven't been able to because they adjusted their hours, which is totally understandable. But I like Pizza Populous. I'm a Geno's girl. 
Oh, I do like Geno's. So we like to put our interview subjects on the spot with a, a really um, <laughs> controversial. Con- controversial food question. Um, in the in the fall, it was candy corn. Um, we've done the pineapple do on pizza. Do you or don't you? Um, but I, I want to ask this one to you. Um, when you're going around the firehouses, have you maybe sent out a memo? Um, like if I were in your position, I would say, we're not going to have cottage cheese in any firehouse. Is there a food that you will not allow in any of the firehouses because you just detest it? No. If I did that, I'd be highly unpopular. Okay. Fair <laughs> enough. So, tell, is, the firehouses, what are those like? Is it like a, um, are, is everyone like family and they get along really well? Or do you sometimes get a memo that says <clears throat> so-and-so made fish the other day and the entire house smelled like fish and everyone was upset? <laughs> so-and-so couldn't sleep because the other one snores. Tell, tell us the fun stuff. Yeah, all of those things happen, right? So, <laughs> and then more. Smelly feet. <laughs> so, think of it like this. Those those fire stations are occupied 24-7. Right. They are our houses. We right. live there together. So, it's like a family environment that mm-hmm. way. So, all the things that happen in your family happen there as well. <laughs> we do get people bickering with each other. For instance, at one of the stations that I was at, there was a guy that liked to work out literally at 11 o'clock at night. So the dorm room and the workout room were the same room. Mm. Oh, and he's probably. trying to work out Weights while I'm trying to go to sleep. Yeah. <laughs> and I had to, I, eventually I threw him out or went to the officer and threw him out because I'm like, you're just being disrespectful yeah. to other people. You could have worked out at any point. You yeah. start at 7 a.m., you do your work during the day. You could have worked out at any other point and you wait until 11 o'clock at night. So yes. And we have a thing called House Fun Wars, right? So at the stations. I love this. Everybody. <laughs> Um, pays. So one thing that people don't uh, necessarily know, we pay for our own meals. So we, we oh, okay. gather money together, usually at the beginning of the day, and then somebody, like one of the crews will go and, and purchase food. Some stations have it delivered, or maybe they bring it in with them. But we pay for all that ourselves. Mm-hmm. So they'll collect it, decide on meals, whatnot. With that, we have what's called house funds. So we pay our cable bill out of that. People used to have phone bills, but probably not anymore. We pay for all those things. Furniture, beyond what the city provides, or if we want something nicer. So money's collected for that. But House fun would be things that all three shifts share, right? So like peanut butter, mm. sometimes eggs, sometimes not, like salad dressing, things that everybody uses. So they pitch money in and they buy those things. So sometimes people don't agree on either what to buy or the person's not buying it and they're running out. Where's the peanut butter? Or so-and-so used all of the eggs oh or whatever God. it was. That would be And then house. we have That's what's called house. house fun wars and then they lock stuff up and we can't have nice things. So. Do you, are you allowed to have, I, I, I called it, or they called it when I was a kid, like kangaroo court. Do you know what that is? Um, like if somebody. Like voting somebody off the island? Or? Not, no, but like. <laughs> If somebody does something wrong, not professionally speaking, but there's like a a code violation, not like fire code, um, but somebody doesn't like refill the toilet paper and then it's like $10 fine goes into the, to the fund to buy other things. We used to call it kangaroo court. Like if somebody missed this, a steel sign or a bunt sign in baseball, like that's a dollar right there. Oh yeah. I, I don't, I don't think okay, we really have that really. Usually, free to take usually that. we just shame them into doing the right thing. <laughs> peer, like peer pressure, right? I enjoy yeah. it. That's fun. Um, I have one last question. We can't thank you enough for doing this. Uh, who is, you talk about the food and, and the house life, family life. Is there a, so Paris is the, not on TikTok, but he's the social channel champion who is the best cook chef creator of food within the tfd 
Oh boy, you're gonna you're gonna get me in trouble. Because if I pick one <laughs> person, ready. if no. I pick one person, I'm gonna have a right, whole lot of other people ne- on me. I won't because I don't want to cause you any any more bickering or emails or childishness and whatever it might be. We have a lot of good cooks. So to your point, though, uh, most stations or most people have, let's say one, it might be one or two people. Some stations they rotate, but. As a rule, we have some really good cooks you in have the fire department. Off. Actually, we have one I'll of our guys at Sevens uh, used to be a chef. We have several of those, I believe. So wow. they'd probably be up there, but I'm not naming names because okay. I'm not starting that war. So okay, so when you're not okay, there's never a moment where you're not doing and thinking about your work. I understand that, right? You take it home. You know, you just have to adjust to that. But like. On a Saturday night, if you're not working, what would be something that you would do? What What are your interests? Tell us something about you that you don't get asked often. I would be at the Toledo Walleye Hockey game, most likely. Oh, nice. So we have the nine-game package there. I love hockey. I absolutely love hockey. Play hockey for the Toledo Fire Department, Toledo Fire and Rescue Department hockey team. I have for the 21 years I've been on the job. So I would say hockey during hockey season. In the summer, we have a swimming pool, and nice. I just enjoy honestly sitting out on my deck doing nothing, reading a book, <laughs> so good. swimming in the yeah. pool, laying around <laughs> my brother with was my a, dogs. My brother was a hockey player, and I will never forget when in high school, and when we went to a high school game, um, there was a fight in the stands with the moms. The moms of the opposing team started to fight each other, and I will never forget it. And I'm like, hockey's so violent, it's great. You know, not actually violent, but... No, it, no, no it, it is. It's violent. It is. So the moms were fighting with each other, and, the, and then the players started to fight, and a player got, like, knocked out. He was passed out on the ice, but nobody noticed because the moms, it was a brawl. Like, not just one mom fighting another mom. It was a brawl. And I'm from Cleveland, so it was rival schools. But... Anyway, I'll never forget that hockey memory. <laughs> um, oh, you have a hockey game coming up. We'll wrap up with that. Yes, we do. So every year, normally in April, we play a hockey game with the Arctic Wolves sled hockey team, and they're an adaptive hockey team out of Toledo. Mm. So by adaptive hockey, I mean um, kids that use sleds to play hockey because either they're paralyzed from the waist down or they maybe they you know lost a limb or whatnot. So... That allows them to play hockey and for the sport to be inclusive. So they have a big fundraiser that they invite us to, and we play with them, and they have an auction, and That's awesome. they have 50-50, all sorts of things to raise money for that team because hockey, for one, is very expensive to begin mm-hmm. with, and then for two, these sleds are expensive. So that is coming up on April 2nd, Toledo, or at Tam O'Shanner, sorry, Savannah Tam O'Shanner, and I believe it's noon. Okay. Uh, is Does my friend Stuart over at the Ability Center, are, are they involved in that in any way? I believe they are. So Good. I think Stuart is new to the area. So I met him at Ottawa Park when mm-hmm. they revealed the adaptive sled that they bought, but um, I believe he said he just re- relocated to the area. But yeah. the other teammates and parents were there. Good. Great. Um, Thank you. You uh, you have a standing invite. Make sure uh, Sterling sends me all kinds of stuff that we can talk about and promote. You've got uh, academies, whatever you need. We'll we'll spread the word and um, good luck. Yeah, I, I think you're going to need it. Uh, it. You congratulations. You've stepped into yeah. a fire. Well done. Um, um, hopefully, COVID things are continuing to wind down. But good luck and please never hesitate to reach out to us. Um, we're Toledo people. We're here to support you and everything that you do. Thank you. I appreciate it. Glad to be here.